0: Today on the Zabecast, Andy Poland for one last run in 2019, and what does the Urban Meyer sighting mean at FedEx Field, and why Roger Staubach is always an inspiration. Also, a special bonus F that guy, and how the Charlie Brown Christmas special almost never made it to air. Your bonus, 30 Minutes of Me, is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Tuesday, December 17, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Let's get right into it. The Charlie Brown Christmas special is the goat of Christmas TV shows. And if you want to include Christmas movies, although usually they're a separate category, Charlie Brown Christmas is the goat of all of that, in my opinion. What's amazing, and I'm going to direct you to something online called The Making of of the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And I think it was longer than 15 minutes, but I'm looking at at least a 15-minute chunk of it here on YouTube. It is a fascinating story as to how the project came together, the ways that the creators broke convention on what a typical Christmas special was supposed to be, and how the whole thing both almost didn't make it to air and was almost surely destined, they believe, to be a one-and-done special. Instead, it turned out to be the GOAT. The networks were against it. It it went against the conventional thinking at the time of what a children's
1: special, what a Christmas special had to be. There were specific negative comments about the music, you know, the piano music, some of the voicing, which sounded kind of amateurish. And indeed, it was amateurish. A lot of them were kid actors.
0: Rats.
1: But it was a commitment, and it, uh, the film was made. And they said, well, it's in the TV guide logs, we've got to put it on the air, but <laughs> nice try, and, you know, we'll put it on once and that'll be it. Nice
0: try. So we
1: figured it was over, it was done. The show aired December 9, 1965. And much to our pleasant surprise, it just was an enormous success. Now- It was the second most watched show that week, bested only by Bonanza, which was a very popular show <laughs> Bonanza. at that time. In those days, there were only three networks, and so we got a 49% share of audience, meaning that half of the television sets were on that show that night. 49, 49 50 share. shares, 35 ratings, are numbers that are unsuck. They're They're just unimaginable today. The one thing I would love to have seen is the faces
0: on the CBS executives who didn't like the Charlie Brown Christmas that they got the, the overnight Nielsen ratings and they suddenly realized that they had just put on the air the highest rated Christmas special in the history of civilization.
1: I had some questions as to how it would translate you know, to television, but uh, what do I know? You know compared to Charles
0: Schultz? The way they measure success in television is that they order more episodes. And I think I was like a week or two after the Charlie Brown Christmas era that Lee Mendelson walked out with the, the next fifteen years of his life planned out in terms of <laughs> specials. Ah, uh, that's good stuff right there. Now there's of course some uh, some Charlie Brown themed duds in there, and I think I've seen almost all of them. But it's an amazing feature, and you gotta go, you know, watch the whole thing. I don't have time for it here. What do you mean you don't have time, your podcast? Okay, well, I was too lazy to pull all the bites. But watch it and just revel in it because everything, like the networks hated things. Like, what is this jazz music? The great Vince Giraldi trio. They're like, what is this? And uh, they're like, no, this is going to work. Bill Mendelson, who was the guy who uh, was the producer of the special, just had a sense of this will work. This is going to be good. And the message and the script and everything else. And one of the other big things they talk about was when Linus gives the true meaning of Christmas. And it's hard not to get a little bit choked up thinking about it. It's a passage from the Bible. And that was considered, even back in the late 60s, kind of like, yeah, you know, let's not get too religious here. To have that in the kids' special, straight from the Bible, was very unconventional. But it is the absolute cornerstone feature of that incredible piece. So to the goat of Christmas specials here on Christmas week on the Steve Zabin, po- Steve Zabin podcast on the Zabecast uh, a little nugget for you. Go look it up online. The making of the Chris Charlie Brown Christmas special. Now to more mundane topics or perhaps uh, inflammatory. Let me get to the, ri- the Ryder Cup. Let me get to the President's Cup for a quick second. It was an amazing comeback by the American team on foreign soil against a very good international team in which yes, singles tends to favor the Americans, but not always. And Tiger Woods deserves all the credit in the world for what he has done. It's hard to be a player captain. And yet he pulled it off. He pulled it off, not as a player captain who can kind of play a little bit and played one or two matches. He was the best player on the team. He was the best player on both teams. And so he wins the President's Cup on foreign soil as a player captain, unprecedented, virtually unprecedented. Somebody might have done it back in the days in the Ryder Cup, but in modern golf, unprecedented. He does it with a Sunday comeback after getting second-guessed with his Saturday pairings in which he he leaves himself off the sheet both morning and afternoon when the team needed him desperately. A calculated gamble that his guys could rally on Sunday and he wanted to be fresh and everything else. And he does all this uh, on the other side of the globe with, while babysitting a pudgy child in Patrick Reed. I mean, that's all I can say right there. You know, he used to view these team events with disdain at best, if not outright sort of eh, scorn. Like, oh, what, what you got to bring up my record in the Ryder Cup? What does that matter? He used to go out at O'Dark 30. Uh, to practice at the Ryder Cup on Tuesday and Wednesday because he just didn't want to be bothered by the media, didn't care that his teammates were like, where's Tiger? Oh, he's he's out on the back nine. Leave him alone. He's working on his game. And now he has become a guy that all the guys outwardly love, and he loves being a captain, and it's really – I mean, look, give him credit. He's evolved as a person, especially – I mean, at least as a golf person – Personal life, we don't know. We never know. That's why we were so shocked after the scandal. What? Tiger Woods? Poonhorn? Poonhound? Oh, my God. But Tiger 3.0, and I count 1.0 as the guy before the scandal and the car crash on Thanksgiving night, 2.0 as the guy who came back from that and started developing back problems. He was a little bit better, tried to be better, but then was still kind of an asshole, And then he ends up, you know, the post-Tiger 3.0 was when he was found gorked out on goofballs, side of the road in Florida, uh, when he could have been upside down in a ditch, drowned and dead. Amazing comeback, both physically and an evolution as a golfing persona that is amazing. And he did it when he said three years ago, or three sessions ago, uh, two Ryder Cups and then one President's Cup or two Prez Cups and one Ryder Cup at Medina when he said, I want to be a part of this. I want to be an assistant captain. Let's do this. And he, uh, you know, he's, he's, he was an assistant captain there, even though he didn't play. And I thought, it's kind of weird, but okay. He seems to be into it. Maybe it's fake hustle. Maybe not. I did love watching golf in prime time. I love watching golf from that Sandbelt region of the world. It's totally unique golf. It's all ground-based. It's extremely fast and firm. It's sort of like Scotland in that it's all ground-based its role and it's roll and it's roll out and it's strategy and whatnot. But it's harder because the bunker faces are more sharp. There's more contours. There's more elevation. There's not as much bad weather. God, I want to go there so bad and play. But it's, uh, it's a long ways away from what I understand. I thought there were some unfortunate takes that came out early in the week. Notably, Eamon Lynch, who writes for Golf Week, I believe, or Golf World, had a take that said basically, eh, let's get rid of the Ryder Cup, or let's get rid of the President's Cup format as is. It needs a jolt. It's tired. It's played. Let's add women. Oh, for God's sakes. It's such a lazy take. It's such a, okay, so you're a grizzled veteran golf rider who's tired of covering this event and it's not the Ryder Cup, then don't cover it. There's nothing wrong with it. Let it keep growing. Let it breathe. The the event grew this cycle. It'll continue to grow. Things don't happen instantly. It just is that, and of course, the reflexive rush to womenify events and sports. Oh, let's get a female coach on this team. Let's get female referees in an, in a vacuum. It's not bad per se, but it abandons the notion of meritocracy that the best people should get those jobs. And you could say, but she is a great coach. She deserves this job with the Celtics. And you say, well, what is it? Why? Where's her resume? Has she proven, has she gone up the ranks? Has she paid her dues? Well, not really, but she's really smart when we we want her on here because it's a woman. They once had the Wendy's three-tour challenge that was men, women, and seniors. You want to do one of those? Go ahead. Eamon Lynch, cook one of those up. This event deserves to exist and deserves to grow because the rest of the world deserves to have golf grown. Japan, all of Asia, South America, Canada, other parts besides Europe and the U.S., they deserve to have a team event. I would love to see it one day. And by the way, the only thing I object to is this tie bullshit. Like the thought that they would leave it as a tie, like, oh, it's a tie. You got to have a playoff. There's not a single golf match at any club in America, even for the lowest flight that ends in a tie. Play it off, one hole, chip off, throw darts, something, break the tie, for God's sakes. But other than that, I would love it. And they would never do it because they don't want to you know, mix the properties. I'd love it if it was a round robin. So that the winner of the President's Cup plays the reigning Ryder Cup champion. So it's like the Ryder Cup is the A flight. And the President's Cup is the B flight. So if you win the Ryder Cup, your team is exempted from the President's Cup. And so it might be one year Europe versus the internationals with the right to play the USA and the Ryder Cup in two years and kind of go on as a king of the hill type of thing so we could get any mix and match of players. But that'll never happen because A, it's too damn good of an idea. Comes from me, thank you very much. And secondly, uh, the PGA of America never wants to, the PGA of America owns the Ryder Cup. They're not going to allow that. And the PGA Tour owns the President's Cup and they're two separate organizations. And there's the fear that, well, we might get some non-name players if it is a Ryder Cup That is internationals versus Europe. And it's like, well, there's no Americans. Hey, man, they're all Americans. All these guys live in Orlando. Byung Hyung An, he's as American as, you know, (laughs) he's as American as, I don't know, Bubba Watson. They're all from Orlando. Who cares? They're golfers. That said, jolly good show. Enjoyed it very much. No ties next time. Yay, Australia sandbelt! Uh, way too many commercials by Golf Channel. Holy shit, the commercials! The playing through is such a scam. If I gave you a hundred bucks, would you give me the uninterrupted feed? Seriously, there's got to be a pay-per-view over-the-top thing for us hardcore stands, and say, look, we're gonna bypass all the commercials. Just give us the raw feed of everything you got. We don't even need announcers. Just show the golf. Here's a hundred bucks. Thank you for the whole week. You're welcome. Let's give old Andy Polin a shout, see what's shaking. Lots of redskin stuff to get caught up on. And he was at Army-Navy. Hello. Hello. Did you punch Roger Staubach for me, at least? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Andy sent me a picture with the great Roger Staubach. Great American, great American icon. Still fit as a fiddle at 78 years young, I want to say.
2: Wow. Yeah, you may be right. Uh, He looks, yeah, he's great. And, yeah, he's an American hero. Everything he has done, he has reached the absolute top. Heisman Trophy winner. Vietnam War hero, Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys, built a real estate company in Dallas. I believe he sold it for about $600 million. I mean, whatever he touches, it turns to gold.
0: And a a total class act. It's too bad because for as many times as he cut our hearts out as Redskins fans, you want to hate him. I want to hate him. It's impossible, though, because he's an amazing human being. Good for you. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So
0: you yep. went to the uh, Army Navy game. Did you enjoy the 150 runs and the seven passes? I think was the final total. Or 102 <laughs> well, to 7, I think it was not 150, but 102 to 7.
2: See, that this is the perfect event for you because it's over I know. in no time. I know so. it is.
0: <laughs> it moves, baby, it moves. Except for all the pageantry which you actually want when you go there.
2: Yeah, that's what you go for, and uh, you know, you and I have done a couple of radio rows there. Uh, I stayed for the game, I think both times. I'm not sure if you did. Uh, but I did it-
0: last year. I went to the game last year, so it's technically off my list. But I've got some army buddies and a navy buddy or two that are talking a big game about going in 2020. So mm-hmm. it may be a bit of a to do if I can get some of my friends to go.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Uh, our station carries the army game, so. I had a couple of tickets, and uh, my son lives in New York, so he took the bus down, and he met me, and we walked around, and we were in our seats. Well, my brother-in-law is a lobbyist, and one of the companies he works for is USAA. Yeah. So he was there, and we went from, okay, decent seats, upper deck, uh, to... (laughs) <laughs> inside
0: this beautiful
2: suite with shrimp and, you know, booze and any, you know anything you want. And uh, so it's about uh, 45 minutes before the game, and we're in our seats in the suite, and my brother-in-law says, turn around. And we go, oh, my God, that's Roger Staubach. And, you know, Staubach does work for USAA, so part of his deal, I'm sure, is to come Meet and schmooze yeah, in the suite, and he knows how to do it. And so, you know, like the typical radio schmuck that i am
0: oh boy i
2: i go and i introduce myself say hi i'm andy poland i'm a radio guy in dc i've interviewed you on the air you know like he's going to say oh of course i remember that interview we talked about the dallas cowboys
0: we talked about about army (laughs) navy (laughs) yeah right and what did he say
2: he said, "Oh, you know, thanks. Nice to meet you." And you know, my son was wearing a beat army shirt, so he liked that. He said, "Oh, nice shirt there." Right. And uh, and and more, somebody else was talking to him, and he said, "You know, I served four years in the navy." And Staubach so said, "Yeah, so did I." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Which so did I. Funny. Big fucking deal is what he wanted to say, right? Yeah. So- it went- so why did why did you feel like you can't give up your status as a radio guy? You couldn't just be hi. I'm Andy. Nice to meet you.
2: No, nah, you know, and it's because you're you. There's that glimmer of hope that he'll say, "Oh yes, I remember our conversation," which you know would make my life so. That's, that's kind of why I did it. And it was, it was dumb, but I, I, I <laughs> you instantly
0: um, regret it. You're, although I give yeah. you credit for realizing it and self-reporting this violation of schmuckiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Right. right. The, the, the committee, scale. the committee will go down, will, will go easier on you because of this self-reporting violation, Andy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably true. But, uh, you know, I, I would, when I was in San Antonio, this was 1980 and he retired, after the 79 season, you may remember the last win he had was a crushing defeat to the Redskins where he threw a touchdown pass to Tony Hill in the final seconds of the game. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Crushed everybody. And uh, so he retired the next season. Cowboys weren't doing very well. And there were rumors that he was going to come back. And uh, he had, I was on, somebody knew something about a flight that he was on to San Antonio. So I was, dispatched to go to the airport with my tape recorder to ask Stalback if he was going to come back and he very nicely said no no these you know stories float around but uh, no I'm not I'm not going to come back and in yeah. fact he didn't
0: yeah by the way there's nothing schmucky about you just saying hi I'm Andy Poland we had the pleasure of uh, talking on Radio Row a couple years ago when I was with the team 980 that would have been fine that's yeah, not that schmucky yeah, it's, just, it's just, it's giving you some background on who you are. I think it's polite etiquette. What frustrates me these days to no end is when people introduce you to somebody and mm-hmm. they just go, uh, yeah, here's Bill Shanklin. And they leave it at that. And they give you no context who he is, what he does, or how, you know, him. nothing. And yeah. you're sitting there like, okay, what do I do with this? You then have <laughs> to ask, who are you with? What are you? Why am I meeting you? How do you know this guy? It's one of the rudest things ever, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, I suppose. But, you know, it's he was in there to, to shake a few hands take a couple of pictures of what he did, and get out. We we weren't going to have a, yeah. a long chat about our, our backgrounds together.
0: Yeah, well, anyway, that's what uh, guys like Rigo and Clinton Portis and uh, Fred Smoot do for Dan Snyder now. They go around from suite to suite and desperately try to keep people from giving up their expensive suites for go- <laughs> god-awful football in a horseshit stadium with no hope in sight unless you count Haskins as hope, and they mm-hmm. get paid to do it.
2: Yeah, well, Clinton hopes he can continue to do that for a while. Um, oh God! All
0: right, let's yeah. talk. Let's talk about that because uh, I don't think I've talked about it here on the cast. You and I both know Clinton a little bit from mm-hmm. having worked with him. Your thoughts on this?
2: Well, uh, it's it's a horrible look, and uh, if if he's guilty, uh, I, I'd be surprised if he avoids jail time. This is fraud, and and I'd be
0: and, surprised if he was found not guilty because nobody beats the feds, right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I guess it's possible he could get some probation, but it's fraud, and and he's stealing from a fund. if, if in fact he did this that was designed to benefit people like him it's it's a fund that was set up in the players association to help with medical benefits of retired players and if now it's it's odd to me how this wasn't caught sooner uh the red flag for the insurance company was they had put in a claim for a machine that was used to treat horses and, and they said, Whoa, 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 Whoa. And they (laughs) looked into it and it turned out that there had been several machines that, uh, were put in for reimbursement that they had never purchased, never delivered Yeah, three and $4,000. And, and they'd run up close to what $4 million in in purchases. I think
0: some of these machines ran upwards of 30 or 40 grand,
2: which, you know,
0: it's not a very artful scheme to go. I got a plan. Say you need a hyperbaric chamber. Here's one for 40 grand. You're a retired football player. You've got arthritis. You've got headaches. This supposedly will alleviate it. We'll put in the reimbursement and then watch this. We (laughs) won't order the machine and we'll take the money and we'll split it up. You get 10 grand. You get 20. You get 10. What a scam! Yeah. As if nobody watches that shit.
2: And the attorney for Portis. The alibi was he didn't know it was illegal.
0: He thought it was a league-sanctioned thing. He had no yeah. idea. It's like the uh-huh. old Steve Martin bit about how do you pay no taxes. <laughs> Step one, don't pay taxes. Step two, when they ask you, say, I, I forgot. forgot, yeah. <laughs> That doesn't fly in a court of law. Well, anyway, it's, it's kind of sad, but everything with the Redskins is sad these days. What's also sad is that, you know they lose a game to the Eagles, who had no wide receivers, who lit them up in the second half. Uh, they had a game-winning touchdown on our fifteen million-dollar corner, who's been relegated to backup status with a former converted quarterback from the University of Houston. And our fan base just wants to gush about, "Hey, Dwayne Haskins looked okay today." That to well, me that is was, sad. That,
2: that was that was my takeaway. That that he's at least he's seemingly improving a bit game by game now. Right. Bill Bill Callahan came out today and basically said, uh, yeah, that was a remedial game plan we put in there. That was, you know, West Coast offense basics. But, you know, what they did with it uh, was relatively effective. Now, you know, was it enough to win the game? Probably not, because in the second half he was getting field goals, not touchdowns. And they needed to get touchdowns there. But based on what we saw from his first performance of the year to yesterday, I'd say he's made some significant progress.
0: The problem is, and this gets people triggered, is I say look at all these good to great quarterbacks that teams are still not winning with. I mean, the Eagles are not winning with a healthy Carson Wentz. They won with Foles, who's gone. The Lions haven't won with Matt Stafford, undeniably great quarterback. Like The point I was trying to hammer home today on my show is you got to keep building your team. It's right. still a team game. You have to have guys from all over that can help contribute, and uh, this organization so far from that. Let's get to the real palace intrigue, which is Urban Meyer up in the booth. What'd you think? Mm-hmm. Well,
2: um, you know, it, it. It what What's come out today is, I guess, Britt Hume uh, met him at the White House party, yeah, uh, which is why he was in town, and he said something like he doesn't want to coach again. But it was all too public. And, you know, if if, in fact, he was a guest of Terry McLaurin, wasn't there another box that could have stashed him in besides the owner's box? Sure. Um, the, you know, so he's he's also seen there with Alex Smith, who there's been speculation is headed to the front office there. They have, of course, history uh, back with Utah. So it, it, it was a bad look. And I don't know if you saw the, the Bill Callahan news conference after the game yesterday.
0: It was very he, short, very terse. Uh,
2: very pissy. And my theory was, yep. is that, you know, okay, I know I'm the interim coach. I know I may not be here next year, but you're parading around possible replacements yeah. at games. You know, that, that just does not good for my team to see that. And, uh, and I didn't appreciate that. I, he didn't say anything to that effect, but that was just my take.
0: Off. Andy, you have great intuition and I think you're 100% correct. Bill Callahan is a delusional coach. In fact, most coaches are delusional. It's what's required to stay in the biz, right? Yeah. So he's delusional thinking, I got a shot at this job. I got a shot at this job. job. I just got to win a game or two. He had a game he could have won in division against a hated rival uh, two hours to the north, and he let it slip through his fingers. He's gutted, and he has to sit there and watch this show pony being paraded around, and it was conspicuous. I believe there are no coincidences in Ashburnistan. Everything mm-hmm. means things. I think Bruce Allen walking the sideline alone means something. I think Urban Meyer in the booth means something. And I don't get by this report. You know, Britt Hume's like, well, he said he's consulting on coaching hires, did the same thing at Colorado State. You don't have to be in the box on Sunday to consult. You right. can do that by phone. You can exactly. do that in a private meeting. This mm-hmm. was conspicuous. And this is Danny's way of saying, okay, fucker. I'm not standing by your side on the sideline. Go make that walk alone. Meanwhile, I'll be up here with possibly my new head coach.
2: Yeah. Now, also in the box yesterday, I don't know if this makes a difference because they're, they've they been longtime friends. George Allen was, Jr.? Yeah, was Bruce's yeah. older brother. Old macaca, so.
0: as we call him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one word that sunk his uh, political career, macaca. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I've to, I've told you my my experience with uh, with George Allen, right? Uh, Junior the
0: or the old man?
2: Well, I didn't know. I never met the, the old, the old man. man. I just right. I just was a, a fan of Jr. the team, right? Yes, but uh, but George Junior was uh, on the committee to help select the seventy greatest Redskins of all time, and we were in a meeting, and this was the only one that I remember Dan Snyder actually attending, and the name Dexter Manley came up. And he wanted to keep Dexter off the list because Dexter had been involved with drugs. And I began to argue with him. I said, look, everything that Dexter did was self-destructive. It was not anything malicious to the team. He was beloved by the fans. He was a great player. I don't think you keep him off because of that. We went back and forth. And who stepped in and took my side? Dan Snyder. No way. Yeah.
0: Well, you you guys are real mishpuka now.
2: Well, I don't know about that, but uh, it was it was a, it was one that, that I wanted to say to the old governor there <laughs> in your face.
0: So we are heading towards the winds of change yet again. Yep. I want your best guess two weeks out from when the winds when 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 the when Hurricane Snyder is set to hit. I want your assessment of the damage done and who's left standing in the end. Two week prediction, knowing could change a lot. You this know. is an early forecast, Andy. What do you say?
2: Uh, just just from the looks of things, I, I would think that I would go with Alex Smith as the general manager, Urban Meyer as the head coach, and Bruce Allen gone.
0: I would buy that for a dollar. Yeah. I think that is entirely possible. I think Urban Meyer is going to get a breathtaking annual salary because Danny loves to overspend. Why? Because it makes him look rich. And it's like I can afford this. Who cares?
2: Right. So he is and- going to
0: splurge on a coach. And Urban Meyer saying, "I think I'm done coaching." It's bullshit.
2: Oh yeah, that that I never believed that from the jump. He's 55 years old. He never looks happy when he's on TV. This is a second go around doing this. He retired from Florida, uh, and and I think I think that's a real possibility. Coaches here. The other thing is, this is where Danny beats Jerry. Jerry is interested, reportedly, in Urban right. Meyer. Meyer has right. said publicly that the Cowboys job is one of those, you know, top notch places you'd want to go. So he outspends Jerry. He's done this in the past before. He likes to outspend people thinking he's winning doing it. And you know, one thing that that Sally Jenkins pointed out in, in a column she wrote today, whatever you may really think of, of Urban Meyer, the guy, he does know how to pick NFL talent. He was sending an average of five guys to the pros yeah. every year. Now, some I, of them... I love
0: Sally. I'm skeptical of that take. Here's why. He just recruits the best players because they've got a huge program with a lot of money. And right. it's not like other programs are like, gee, I don't think so-and-so is going to be a good... Do you think people looked at Chase Young and said, nah, marginal pro prospect?
2: Yeah, that's true. But but there are there are programs that succeed and don't necessarily have a boatload of NFL players coming out of it. Cause the college and pro games are different.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess so. We can quibble yeah. about that, but it'll be interesting because in a lot of ways, this, in a lot of ways, if that happens, it may just be Spurrier 2.0 cause in right. college, these coaches dominate cause they have such a talent disparity. It's frankly unfair versus yeah. most of the teams they play. Can he do it? At the pro level, but that your idea makes sense in that you'd have three things to sell to a beaten down fan base the sizzle, the feel good, and the bloody scalp. The sizzle is Urban Meyer, wanted by Jerry, stolen by Danny. Bing, that's mm-hmm. one. The feel good is Alex Smith, can't play anymore, but a sensible, sharp mind, handsome fella, knock dead, gorgeous wife. He's there as a young player advisor. Good. Right. And then the, the scalp, the blood is Bruce Allen, who has already been put on notice. Yeah. Like someone said that there is initial pushback from any candidate saying, well, if Bruce is there, I'm not taking the job. And this I think was a calculated way for Danny to go, see, Bruce is not in the box with us. Mm -hmm. Bruce is not with me on the field. Bruce is off doing Bruce things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, we failed to read these, these things before there was like period of time where Dan was going and scouting all these Florida games and nobody really picked up on it. And he and Pepper Rogers would go out and I think Vinny would go sometimes and yeah. they would go and, and scout these games, allegedly looking for talent because he was the general manager uh, at the time. Well, who was he looking for? He was looking for Steve Spurrier. Yeah, he was. And, and that's what the So he, he doesn't do things very well clandestine. No. and this is this is yet another case of you know parading around a guy who's who's going to be noticed and uh, that's what he did
0: yesterday did you see Michael Phillips of the Richmond Times dispatch yes. has yes. put together I- his 14 greatest weirdo press conferences in the Bruce Allen era you would think that this would be a what a story about the best press conferences? But it is so rich with nonsense and absurdity, you'd have to be a redskin fan to truly appreciate it.
2: Well, he has provided radio gold for everybody because he not only had the details of all these press conferences, he's got the audio. So uh, there will be uh, there will be some significant audio played on stations, I believe <laughs> in the area. Tomorrow stealing right from that uh, audio visual column there.
0: Here, here let me uh, play this let me play this one. This is Shanahan on Albert Hainsworth. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> coach, I'm curious if you happen to see what Albert Hainsworth said about you and the
1: organization yesterday, if you have any comments on that. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let's put it this way. I think I've been a head coach and assistant coach for about 40 years. Humble you know, brag. When you, when you look back in those days, uh, <clears throat> you take a look at uh, you know the people that you Get along with, or people that, for one reason or another, that uh, you may not get along with.
0: El- By the way, he's sizing him up right now. He's like, circling. Oh, yeah. he's circling <laughs> like a fighter, going, how hard am I going <laughs> to knock the shit out of this guy?
1: Bert was a guy that uh, was one of the few guys that. <clears throat> Let me start this over again, okay?
0: He didn't hit hard enough. He was
2: getting He's like,
0: hold on a second. Here we go. Let me put it this way.
1: I know. Let me put it. I want to say it the right way. (laughs) The only people I really haven't gotten along with since I've been a coach, as a head coach and assistant coach, is someone that's lazy. And number two, when somebody is lazy and they may lack character, or they're lazy and they lack lack passion for the game. Those are really the only people I haven't gotten along with as a head coach or as an assistant coach. And so that's what you're looking for. When I take a look at, uh, through my years, at people that have been lazy or have lacked passion uh, for their job, they don't go into the next year. And when they do, they don't last the next year. So the people that I'd look at that come back and complain or do some of those things that you do when you don't get along with somebody as a head coach or an assistant coach, it usually falls into one of those couple areas. Lazy, lack of passion, and a lot of times lack of character. And uh, he fits all three. Boom!
0: (laughs) Boom!
2: Are are you familiar with a cult movie named Billy Jack?
0: No, I'm not.
2: Okay, look it up. Tom Laughlin played this. This goes back, well, maybe close to 50 years. I remember seeing it in the theater as a kid, and uh, he played uh, an ex Green Beret who was uh, protecting uh, some uh, Native Americans who were on a ranch that was owned by a woman. Anyway, played played by his wife or was the character played by his wife. Anyway, he would he would get to the point where he'd get very angry. And he would begin to take off his shoes and his socks. And in a matter of seconds, he might take on 12 guys and knock them all out with (laughs) jujitsu. And that's basically what happened there with Shanahan. Shanahan
0: starts to methodically take his shoes off, unroll his socks just calmly. I'm about to kick your ass. That's what he did. (laughs) Oh, there's so many other good ones here. There is the winning off the field presser with, uh, with him, there's, uh, you know, Shanahan talks about RG3's benching, Gruden rips Griffin after a loss to the Buccaneers, uh, and a bunch of others. And I mean, it's just, you wouldn't believe these things happened, but you and I lived it for 20 years. And boy, I'd love for it to be different. I have very little hope of it being different. Nah,
2: I, I do too. But you, you got to turn the page and see what the next chapter of fun is is going to be. Well, I'll uh, get no.
0: I'll get paid either way. Same, just like yeah. you. We're here to chronicle it. It's not right. our fault. They're, they're they don't know what they're doing. But we'll see what this next iteration is. We got two more weeks of old stagecoach Callahan and his primitive ways and his horrible clock management. And then it's hit the dusty trail, buddy, and we're on to the next plan.
2: Yeah, there's there's no ace in the back pocket. He already played that with Gibbs. So if he, if he's gonna do something it's got to be something that nobody can see coming. Nobody saw that coming. Well, I don't think you could even imagine something like that happening again.
0: If it's nobody sees it coming, then he's telegraphed the Urban Meyer punch. Yeah, which he's done before. Which he has done before. Could have been a could have been a recruiting trip. It could have been, hey, let me prove it to you. Now, seeing that stadium as awful as it is, filled with Eagles fans, is not a good way to recruit unless you appeal to Urban's ego and say, you can be the one. To refill this place with burgundy and gold and be a hero around here. Look at all these savages. We're gonna run them out. You're gonna run them out because you're a winner. Come on, let's do this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's entirely possible. Look at all the people who worked for George Steinbrenner over the years. All the ones who said, "Oh, I can handle him." Yeah. And some did, and uh, most did not.
0: All right. I'm gonna end today with a little "fuck that guy" holiday edition, Andy. And this is, you don't even have to have one. I'm just going to run this one by you because I think you'd appreciate it, okay? I'm not a good guy. There we go. I'm the guy. (laughs) Ha ha, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. (laughs) All right, fuck that guy this week goes to one Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Harvey Weinstein was seen walking into the courthouse the other day with the aid of a full-blown four-legged walker uh-huh. to evoke sympathy for his deteriorating health condition. Oh, we're so sad. Oh, what's the matter, Harvey? You can't walk anymore? Of course, somebody then took a picture of him looking like a schlump extraordinaire, your, word, your words, uh-huh. uh, in a gray sweatshirt at a Target on Long Island. So, right. with no walker whatsoever, this scoundrel is using everything he can to try to save his ass, including a walker designed for 90-year-olds. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Fuck this guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Didn't Bill Cosby do something similar when he went into court pretending to be blind? I think that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: he might yeah. have. He might have, who knows, it's amazing, when pressed up against the wall, wealthy, formerly powerful men are desperate and they'll do anything, right?
2: Yeah, I've got one, I wouldn't go so far as to F him, but I was really disappointed in Jim Beheim, who, oh. uh, yeah, after after losing to Georgetown uh, over the weekend, decided to light up James Akinjo, uh, oh. and saying that they're a better team because he was selfish and all he did was shoot the ball. And you know, I, I don't, I don't really know what's happened to Kinjo other than he caught caught up in some very bad timing, because he decided to transfer from Georgetown when three other guys who were named in a assault uh, complaint decided that the, one of them was kicked out, I right. think, and the other two decided. But to But bottom,
0: bottom line, Beheim should keep that kid's name out of his mouth, even yeah, in a exactly. backhanded compliment to say, well, he was a good player. That's why I lost today because he's off the team or, or no, yeah. they're, Oh, I'm sorry. I lost today because they're bad player. It wasn't a compliment at all. It was a slam on him and yeah. they're better without him. I mean, Beheim is an asshole and a bully and I've known this for a long time, but guys like Vital pump him up and it's part of the cult of college basketball.
2: I know. He's, uh, I, I, I tend to give him a break because I like Gary Williams so much. And, and Gary, Gary likes him. Yeah, yeah. Gary's friends. But, but that was really low class. There was no reason to do yeah. that. He didn't have to slam the kid. Yeah. We don't know why he left.
0: Yeah, but you know what, though? He, Gary is part of the fraternity, but Gary's a class act. Gary would have never done that. No, so I think that's right. why they're friends. All right, yeah. Andy, uh, mazel Toff to you. This will be our last visit in 2019. As always, thank you for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. Always fun to talk to you.
2: Merry Christmas to you and your family.
0: Very good. You too.
2: All
0: right. All right. Let's, uh, Let's end on this today. It was a banner year for UFO sightings. In 2019, you know me. I love me some UFO sightings. Can't get enough of it. I'm all about it. Uh, New York Post story by Paula Frolik. It's been a hell of a year for unidentified flying objects. Once thought to be fictional works used to sell tabloids, 2019 has been awash with news of UFOs, aliens, and strange phenomena, including reports, including video from verifiably sane sources. In May, the Pentagon came out admitting it investigates UFOs after Navy pilots confirmed to not only have seen but recorded UFOs during training exercises off the coast of both San Diego and the Outer Banks during 2004 and again in 2015. These are the little white tic-tacs that moved and stopped and changed elevation at hypersonic speed. In November, another report in Popular Mechanics confirmed that after the O4 incident, two unknown individuals took the data tapes away and wiped the Navy hard drive. Hmm, suspicious. And there have been other ones as well. On September 1st in Taos, New Mexico, three elk hunters allegedly witnessed two alien creatures standing upright on a nearby hilltop. The next day, two of them returned to the same area to look for evidence, and they allegedly witnessed an unusual-looking craft resting on the ground. Uh, No photos uh, didn't happen. This according to the National UFO Reporting Center. A bunch of other incidents as well. Two things here. Number one, we may be entering an age of alien invasions. Number two, there's a lot more technology out there. Super duper hard to believe. Holy shit, the government has one of those type things. If I can get a drone that flies four miles away from me, takes super high definition video, is controllable and programmable to fly a designated route, and takes no more than 10 minutes to learn. If I can buy that, granted from the Chinese, uh, who are stealing all of our data and mapping our secret areas because we're all flying drones over places we shouldn't. If I can get that, of course, of course they've got better shit at the government they're not telling us about. And those are the things that might be popping up in the night sky that people are going, hey, Brandane, what the hell's that light up there? Oh, must just be another flare. Back to my TV show. Be on the lookout in 2020. Could be an even bigger year coming up. That'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Tell a couple friends. Rate and review. helps with the algorithm, and we're all slaves to the algorithm. Sorry about the glitch yesterday. The episode posted and then quickly expired after an hour. I have no idea why. I'll make sure not to make that mistake again in the future. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have yourself a great Tuesday, and we will see you next time.